I didn't particularly like the real world of, of you know, of a modern life and desire and greed and ambition and, and uh, conceit uh, that I could see in myself in the, in the society that I lived in. So the uh, insight into Buddha Dhamma was to uh, was to uh, I knew it, you know one is conditioned culturally conditioned to see things in a certain way. So we we kind of reflect on the fact that that consciousness is uh, is not something that's conditioned by culture. So at this moment, every one of us is experiencing consciousness. You know, so it's not something that is Asian or European or male or female or it's not even Buddhist or Christian or anything else. Consciousness is is natural, is uh, is real. It's what we're experiencing now. But yet, even though each one of us it's conscious, we project into consciousness our, our conditioning, the sense of me as a separate person, uh, values, ideals, emotional habits that I've developed over the years of my life, like and dislike and desire and, and fear and jealousy and, and anger, greed, hatred and delusion in all its forms, by identifying with these different conditions, then one lives in the in the illusory world, the shadow world, which is all you know, which is considered by most human beings at this time the real world. But the Buddha was pointing to reality, not as some kind of cultural condition or society or value system, but to Dhamma, to awakened consciousness, consciousness that is not, that is is no longer uh, cluttered and distorted through our own delusions. And so, therefore, he, in the Four Noble Truths teaching, the first first noble truth was the truth of uh, human suffering or dissatisfaction unhappiness or discontentment or however it affects uh, an individual human being. So suffering is what modern society definitely is trying to get rid of. We're trying to find happiness mm -hmm. and uh, seek happiness, fulfillment, uh, all the best that we can think of. And suffering we, we want to get rid of or run away from, or destroy. But the Buddha pointed out the fact that the conditioned realm that we're experiencing is in itself unsatisfactory. We can't find satisfaction in the conditions that we're experiencing. So this is where we, when we uh, develop awareness or recognize the value of mindfulness, intuitive awareness, then we're, we're beginning to recognize reality of pure conscious awareness before it's distorted with these conditioned views, conditioned habits. And by doing that we need to uh, look at these conditions for what they are. Now, this is not a judgment of conditioned phenomena because when we look at conditions, then we're not, we're getting out of the dualistic view of good, bad, right and wrong by just recognizing the nature of conditions such that all conditions are impermanent. So this is a, the changingness of conditioned phenomena that is a characteristic uh, that it, a common characteristic to every condition, whether it's good, bad, right, wrong, important, uh, trivial, happy, sad, whatever.
When we're looking for happiness, we have an idea or usually a memory of some moment of happiness. And then we, we'd like to have it again. So the next month I'm supposed to, I'm a speaker at one of the, uh, the first European conference on happiness. <laughs> Europeans have never had a conference on happiness before. Uh, the Australians have. <laughs> so they want, to, they want to bring happiness to Europe. I think so. I've been invited <laughs> to be one of the speakers at this conference in London. And of course, happiness. What what do we mean by that? You know, we all—it's a common enough word. We all want it. Uh, we like it. Everybody's impressed with uh, the country of Bhutan. Gross national happiness is there aim, you know, happiness is what we all desire and would like to have. We like to be happy all the time. And so, uh, happiness is, an, is another ideal that we, uh, we long for. But what is it? What is real happiness? And so this is more of a reflection than a definition. You know, to say, you know, to tell you how you should be happy or what happiness is, uh, you know, it's, it's still operating from a uh, from an idea that I might have of what makes me happy, what I want to make me happy. So I can say, well, just let go of everything and and learn to love everybody and don't be selfish and. Uh, Forgive all your enemies and don't carry resentments and and these are, you know, then you'll really be happy if you could just uh, be perfect. <laughs> and, uh, so it's kind of a truism, isn't it? If I, or we think, if I could just get everything I want, you know, in life, just everything I want, then I'd be happy. Like we we get a certain kind of happiness out of get, getting what we want, you know. So I really want something, and then I get it, and then I have a a kind of happiness that comes from getting something I want. But that happiness doesn't last very long, because then you start wanting something else. So just the kind of the happiness that comes from from getting what what you want is like this. And so it's not to be despised or, or criticized, but to be recognized. So contemplate in your own life, you know, when you do get what you want, or things are going your way, or people praise you, or there's good news, and, and uh, you know, it's a sunny day, and happiness is, and it's warm, and you're feeling good, and we have good food. And nobody's giving you a rough time, and it's happy. You feel happy and content then. But then that kind of happiness is easily, uh, you know, changed, isn't it? When things are, when it, when it starts getting cold, and the, and you don't get what you want, and things aren't running smoothly, then you feel unhappy. So reflecting on happiness is, you know, not not. To, to you know, to be sour grapes and say, "Oh, happiness is impermanent." Uh, you know, you'll never find happiness in this world. <laughs> it's all suffering. Some people think Buddhism is this kind of sour grapes religion. You know, it's all suffering. Let go of it. Or, uh, but it's not that way because it, the whole aim of, of the Buddha was to awaken consciousness to reality not to condition it or to, you know, kind of mes uh, hypnotize you, but to awaken the human individual to reality. So what's real? What's reality? At this very moment, the real. Well, pointing to all conditions are changing. For example, in Vipassana meditation, they, they uh, you know, they're, always referring to this characteristic of change, 
uh, anicca. So pace, sankara, anicca, all conditions are impermanent. Is is to be as a way of observing and witnessing and recognizing what you're feeling, what you're experiencing right now, either you know emotionally or through the senses, uh, through the mind, you're you're experiencing change. And it's very interesting at this time, uh, pointing out to some of the monks that you know in the po- politics of modern Britain, that you know, listening to some program on the, you know the, uh, the David Cameron for the Tories and Gordon Brown, the Prime Minister. Their way of talking is all about we need to change, change this, change that. Both are are really obsessed with this word change. Everything needs to be changed. And so the the idea of change suddenly is is become the uh, kind of political cry from both parties. You know, and it's obviously we hope to change for the better. We want everything to change so it gets better and we progress and develop and get richer and richer, happier and happier. And it, well, everything needs to change, but it can change the other way too, can't it? Everything could get worse. <laughs> and so, you know, change doesn't necessarily mean for the better. Uh, and so this is a way of recognizing the, the nature of conditioned phenomena through awareness of it. So you you know you begin to one one of the basic practices of meditation is uh, anapanasati. So we uh, we observe our own breathing, the breathing of the body of one's own body. And so this is uh, uh, you know this is it can be when you observe your breath when you kind of concentrate on breathing as you kind of become more absorbed into the rhythm of breathing, you you begin to experience a kind of tranquility. It can be used as a, for tranquility, for kind of refining uh, the, the uh, condition that you're of the present moment towards a more tranquil state. But for vipassana, anapanasati is much more reflective on that the inhalation, you know, is like this, the exhalation is like this. So this is observe awakening just to the to the present experience of breathing that that the that your body is performing at this very moment. So inhalation, exhalation, you know, you can't have just inhalations or exhalations, isn't it? One conditions the other. So the arising, you know, uh the inhalation begins and it reaches a peak and then that conditions the exhalation. So the exhalation begins and reaches its end and then the inhalation begins. So this is quite obvious, you know. But it's to be reflected on, not just not just uh, kind of taken for granted. We use this as a kind of, uh, the kind of example of all conditioned phenomena that birth itself is the is the condition for death birth and death so the fact that our bodies were born that means they will die and so you know and and, and this is and we all kind of know that we will die don't we, we this is a, we take it for granted but we know this intellectually and conceptually. Uh, physical death we don't know, none of us know yet what that is like when, when, we, when the body dies, when one's own body dies. But we can recognize that right now we're in that point in between birth and death. We've already been born, so we're experiencing consciousness from this body which was born. And this body now is this age and and I'm on the downhill slide, I'm on the exhalation of life going towards the end of exhaling or towards death 
physical death. So this is, uh, you know, the older you get, I think the more real that that death, that, you know, you're more aware that that you're uh, developing years are over. You know, that you're you're growing, uh, rising, uh, inspired years have already peaked and you're uh, well down on the other side. So this is, you know, like old age, the aging process of the body is like this. So one is observing the body no longer from, uh, you know, resistance or ignoring or resenting the fact that it is old or aging, but it's like this. And age, a, a old body is like this. Exhalation is like this. Inhalation. Now the inhalation, exhalation are not particularly, you know, they're they're, they're very obvious because the breathing is a basic function. And if you are not breathing, you're dead. So the, the that it's you know the body is breathing. So reflecting on the breathing. Being aware of it is, 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 we're not saying breathing is good, bad, right or wrong, but it's like this. So what I'm pointing to is this reflection on the way it is, like, so that your relationship to an inhalation is observing the reality of it. It is, you know, it, it arises, peaks, and then exhalation, cessation. So this is uh, what the Buddha was pointing at, that all that begins ends, all that is born dies. And in that reality, you know, to recognize, to really reflect on the impermanence of conditioned phenomena, you're, you're being mindful. You're taking refuge in awareness. So that awareness itself is the gate to the deathless. So this, this is like being aware and cultivating awareness. You're no longer caught in the delusion or you begin to see the delusion of identity with conditioned phenomena. Because that is the self-view. Anything you think you are, believe you are, identity with your body, with your emotions, with your uh, memories, whatever, that is not what you are. Those are, those are changing conditions. So you observe how, you know, your personality changes according to the weather, according to who you're with, according to what's happening around you, according to your position, according to all kinds of other conditions. One is happy, sad, uh, feeling important, feeling trivial, feeling loved, feeling unloved, feeling happy, sad, fulfilled, unfulfilled, feeling young or old, vibrant, elated or depressed, miserable, sick, according to conditions you know, that are changing. So, the awakeness to change. So, this awakeness, sati, uh, in Pali, sati sampajanya, is a very simple, it's not, it's not something difficult or, uh, you know, something remote or special. It's so ordinary we don't notice. We, we're usually seeking happiness or fulfillment, some some kind of extreme, some kind of desire uh, that we remember having happiness before we want to have it again. We want to become, you know, if we feel uh, unimportant, we want to become important, we want to feel we're, I am an important person or I'm worthy person or I'm a lovable person, if we don't feel that we are. When we look at ourselves through this thinking mind, we, we've developed uh, modern education makes us very, very critical. 
We develop critical minds. So we, we, you know, we're aware, very much aware of what's wrong with things, what we don't like, what shouldn't happen, both in ourselves and in the society we live in. So we're very much aware of what's wrong with this society, what's wrong with oneself, what's wrong with the other people, the faults and that that we 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 see in uh, in the conditions around us. And then we can imagine how it should be if everything were perfect or, you know, everything were what we would want it to be. If everybody, everything in the society and oneself, one's own mental, emotional habits were normal, healthy, beautiful, good, happy, loving, and all these very positive Condi- uh, words that we have for, uh, you know, that which we would like, would want. So awakening to reality is observing change, which is not about good or bad, but about the way it is. The body's changing at this very moment. You can feel, you know, how your body, the experience of your own body sitting is changing or the breathing or your emotional feelings or your thinking your thought process or you know whatever this condition is you're noticing observing the changingness which is non-critical not saying change is good or bad it is just the way it is it's dhamma or reality, conditions change. So that which is aware of condition is the unconditioned. And that's what, in in other, to realize, to recognize the unconditioned is not identifying with it, not claiming it as some kind of personal attainment or anything, it's just awakening, learning to awaken and recognize and cultivate. So like Sangha is uh, practicing this, developing, cultivating awareness in uh, through the um, experiences that we have in these condi- with these conditions that we're that we have to experience till the body dies. So our relation that to the conditioned realm then is one of uh, recognizing it, knowing it, not no longer uh, wanting it to be otherwise, but but recognizing it. Condition is changing it's like this, feeling happy, feeling unhappy, feeling content, feeling discontent, elated, depressed. Just like observing your inhalation, exhalation. So notice this relationship of awakened attention to change. So it's beyond the thinking process. When you think about it, you'll never get it. You you can get the idea. You might think you understand because you understand the words that I'm saying. But to really recognize this, realize awareness is like this, and trusting it, learning to rest in it, to to surrender, to relax into the deathless of awareness, in which then the relationship to the, the changing conditions of birth and death, you're no longer identifying with death in other words like when you're identified with your body what you know you're you're identifying with death if you want permanent happiness for the rest of your life and security through your body and your desires you're going to be terribly disappointed <laughs> because that it's not possible the body you know is there's no way you know how many um, how many people have tried to seek e- eternal youth 
you know, the idea of finding the fountain of youth, uh, where you'll just stay, you know, the, you know, stay, uh, what is the age that everybody would like to be? 22, 23, something, right? 16? Whatever age you like to be. I don't, I wouldn't want to be 16 again. <laughs> I was miserable at 16, but uh, maybe not older than 25 anyway. If I could find the fountain of youth at 20, but I didn't. <laughs> or, you know, to maybe uh, cosmetic surgery or uh, manipulating the genes and chromosomes of your body, you know, or have kind of different transplants, you know, modern science and med medical science and that do all kinds of experiments to try to keep the illusion of me of having a young body but that's the kind of like like keep trying to repair the old things isn't it like trying to uh, keep a you know a, a roof uh, that is too old and leaks trying to keep r repairing it make it new all the time. So the recognizing this is this agingness of the body, then this isn't a this isn't depressing because you're not the body. The body is what was born and it's like this right now. How many of you are content and with your body the way it is right now? And would like it to be like this for eternity. Yeah, and look at my body, 73-year-old body. You know, have to live with this body for eternity. It's not a, not a particularly a wonderful option in life. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's uh, the body is, its nature is to grow old. And then aging has its, you know, it's, it's kind of packing up. And that's what it's supposed to do. That's fine. Because looking at it, observing it from the deathless, from awareness, from sati sampachanya, from pure consciousness, then it's all right. It's not self. It's no longer, you know, you can allow it to be the way it is. It's not judged as good, bad, right or wrong. It's just like this. And more and more you began to rest or seek your refuge or trust or relax into the deathless or mindfulness. Mindfulness and wisdom. So this uh, the Buddha pointed to is wisdom comes from mindfulness, not from university lectures. You know, we can see in our own modern society, uh, we've developed intelligence, then manipulation of conditioned phenomena. So, you know, we have this uh, Frankenstein story, you know, where the, the, uh, you create this, out of curiosity, you create this monster that ends up chasing you. And it's going to destroy you. <laughs> so that's, what's that's what seems to be happening now. You know, out of our cleverness, manipulating conditions, the conditioned world, out of curiosity, with n without wisdom involved in it, just out of desire and curiosity, then we are, you know, we're beginning to experience at this time, isn't everybody aware of the climate change and and the population problems and the the you know the decline of civilization of what we perceived as being civilized. You know we don't know what what we're here for anymore, and so we you know we've we've developed so much interest and fascination for manipulating conditioned phenomena that we hope eventually we'll be able to solve all problems by manipulating them so that they will fulfill our desires. But 
that's even if we can control them even more and make everything better, it's still we still feel this dukkha or this uh, suffering, the first noble truth. So this is a noble truth, and and the, this word noble, what is now? What does that mean? Now, like I I've contemplated this. Why did the Buddha call suffering a noble truth? Because what's noble about suffering? Then we think, well, we're meant to suffer, and the more we suffer, the more noble we become. That's still self-view, isn't it? That's not true. That we should, you know, be ascetics and and uh, kind of beat ourselves and and uh, mistreat ourselves, make us suffer even more. And maybe we should make everybody in the society suffer more. Maybe that's what we need here in England: more suffering. So the first noble truth is the more you suffer, the more noble you become. Well, that's ridiculous. <laughs> so it's not that suffering is noble in itself, but it's, it's a truth. And, and in order to recognize, to know this truth through insight, you have to turn to it, understand it, investigate it. And that's noble, isn't it? Nobility means... We're willing to look, to bear with, to rise up to the suffering we're experiencing, looking at it. There's something in me that has to grow up a little more, kind of embrace it and study it and accept my suffering rather than just run away from it or blame it on, on others. Like usually it's one suffering, it's, it's somebody else's fault, isn't it? It's... Uh, your mother, your father, or your partner, or it's the weather, or the food, or it's the, the society, or it's, uh, you know, always somebody to blame. So, you know, we say, we talk about in modern psychology now about the victim, uh, victim uh, attitude of I'm, I'm miserable because of my mother, my father, or because I was abused when I was child or nobody loves me and and so I you know we we think I'm I'm a victim I'm a, I'm a victim of life because I maybe was born disfigured or some disability so we can claim you know that life hasn't been fair to me now this is a, a what we call a victim mentality now in now this this gets you nowhere you know, it just makes you feel it, you know, sorry for yourself and feel resentment that you didn't get, uh, you know, what you should have gotten according to an ideal. But in a noble truth of suffering, we're, we're not asking for anything, but we're rising up to look at our suffering, our sense of disappointment or... or that we are, even the sense of being a victim, we're looking at this, not grasping it and identifying, but recognizing that if, if I grasp this view that I, you know, it's not fair that I didn't get the best of the conditions when I was born, uh, that, that has ruined my life. Say the noble truth of dukkha is, I'll, I'll, and I don't care about that anymore. I'm willing to look that, look at this suffering of wanting something I don't have, of not wanting life to be the way it is. So there's something noble about that. So this English word noble is, to me, you know, like when, when I feel noble, like I'm an I'm acting in a noble way. I mean, I'm willing to rise up and look at something maybe I don't like or don't want. Not to blame it on somebody or to, to uh, you know, to identify with it, but to recognize the nature of conditioned phenomena. And so then this, this very noble truth allows me to, to change from just uh, ignoring suffering or blaming it on somebody else or becoming a victim of, of life. So this is what we mean by noble truths. They aren't ultimate truths. 
It's not like the ultimate reality is suffering. It's a noble truth that each one of us can use to to understand, to develop this awareness, to develop wisdom. Now in Buddhism, wisdom means the ability to discern. It's like, you know, we're in this in this uh, in this realm of sensory experience, sense world, sensitivity. You know, so we're constantly being impinged on all the time by conditions. You know, it's like hot or cold or you know, you're tired or you're uh, feeling good, feeling bad, feeling hungry. Uh, you see, hear, smell, taste, touch. You know, what you, what you experience through your senses is changing. And so, you know, we're in this, in the, what we call the sense realm, sensitive realm, and this is what being born as a human being is about. You're experiencing uh, the, the reality of sensitivity. And everything, your whole life is an experience of sensitivity. From the time you're born to the time your body dies, this sensitive state is something that is, you know, it's a constant irritant on consciousness. So we would like to have only beautiful things to look at, beautiful sounds, you know, pleasant odors and tastes and all the best of sensory experience. But sensitivity doesn't mean the best, does it? it? It includes everything from pain to pleasure, from beautiful to ugly to whatever, you know, through the different senses. And so when we reflect on this sensitivity, now we, if we are just helpless victims of sensitivity, then it is a kind of futile task, you know, just do the best you can, survive somehow. But if you begin to recognize that each one of us has this, this innate ability to learn from sensitivity, what it is. So that is the, this way, this, uh, the only way we can really see and observe and learn from sensitivity is through awareness of it. Otherwise, we're merely reacting to it. We're caught in just reactions. And, you know, the sun is out, we're happy, cold and wet, we're depressed. <laughs> and so, I mean, then we're, we're just caught in our reactions. When, when people are praising, praising us, we feel inspired and happy. And people criticize us, we feel angry and depressed. When things are going my way, I like it, I feel secure. When things are not going my way, I feel very insecure and angry. And so these are, you know, I'm just caught in the, in the, in the conditioned realm without any, any ability to understand it. I'm merely a victim of conditioned phenomena. So how many of you can control the conditions so that they're everything you want all the time? It's impossible, isn't it? No way can any individual human being do that. The Buddha couldn't do that. He couldn't control the conditions in his life to make them all, make him feel happy and secure. But he, you know, he awakened to the nature of conditioned phenomena. So that means that we, we switch on the light of consciousness. Now consciousness itself, when you recognize it, this is this consciousness. Is something you don't create out of ignorance. It's a natural state that we begin to recognize. We don't recognize it usually. We, we, we actually assume we're conscious, but we're experiencing consciousness through our attachments, through the sense of ourself, through our loves and hates, through how we're feeling in the moment. We, we're conscious and we... we uh, but we're projecting into our consciousness, identifying with our desires and wishes and longings and fears. And we don't know what we're doing till we use sati sambachanya or intuitive awareness, which means suddenly we're not no longer 
looking for happiness, but willing to observe happiness, unhappiness is like this. So then in language itself is a limited structure. So, you know, when you say in the Buddhist terminologies that that enlightenment is the highest happiness, that, that doesn't quite make sense. Because it's not the happiness of having everything you want or everything beautiful and pleasant, but it's the happiness of knowing the truth which is not the same kind of happiness as as in getting what you want or having a sunny day and so this is this happiness then you can say what we call nibbana or the recognition the realization you're you're with the real now you are the reality yourself you're not cutting yourself off from reality by attaching to the conditioned realm, to death. When you attach to conditions, you're attaching to death. Because whatever conditions you're experiencing now, it's changing and it's not, nothing, no condition is going to get better and better and better and better forever. You know, it's like your inhalation, it reaches a peak and then it, the other exhalation begins. And so this uh, this pattern, this pattern of conditioned phenomena, can be recognized, you know, and studied and investigated. Not despised because we learn from it. We learn. We begin to realize, recognize, the Dhamma through understanding suffering or un dis unhappiness or desire, attachment to desire, or wanting. Now we, be, we can be aware of, of, the, the, of wanting something we don't have. We can be aware of not wanting life to be the way it is. So that awareness, you know, is, is, the, is reality in which the conditions are seen and and then we can respond to conditions so in our response to the to living in in a human body in a in a society is a, a moral commitment so we you know we we determine to do the good and refrain from doing the bad so our active side, our participation in the community, in the family, in the society is, the, you know, to, to do good, to be generous, kind, loving, helpful, considerate, honest, uh, trustworthy. These are the conditions that we act on, that we develop in relating to the conditioned realm that we're in. But we also experience their opposites. Is that we, we experience anger and resentment and desire for revenge and unforgivingness and, and uh, rage and jealousy and fear. Because this is, this is a part of, this is, this is also conditioning. But we we can recognize it without acting on it or attaching to it. So that's why in the First Noble Truth, understanding suffering, is we have to bear with the negative side of life, with old age, with the aging process, with loss. We all have to, in a, in a human lifetime, we all have to experience loss, separation from the loved, death of of uh, our loved ones. And then we, you know, if we live long enough, we have to see our parents get old and die, and friends, and and uh, all, you know, our, even our pets affect us. You know, when it when our dog or cat dies, there's a sadness, isn't there? There's grief in that in that 
loss. This is part of life. But our relationship to loss isn't trying to just ignore it, but to feel it, to know loss. Grief is like this. So that we are learning about loss and not indulging in it or not denying it or rejecting it. Because this conditioned realm is like this. Its nature is change and it changes all by itself. We don't have to make it change, it just changes. <laughs> because that's what it's supposed to do. So it's not supposed to be happy all the time or pleasant. But it, it is, it's nearly autumn now, isn't it? The equinox in a few days where the days and nights are equal and then after the equinox what happens? The days grow shorter and the nights grow longer. <laughs> you say, well I don't want, I like long days and short nights. Well, and then you're, you know, if you attach to that you're going to be miserable. You'll have to move closer to the equator or something. But if you have to stay here then, you know, this is the way it is. The, from then the equinox and the days grow shorter and the nights grow longer and then in the springtime the days grow longer the nights grow shorter so I mean it's it's just the way things are our relationship to that is awareness and not to wish it were otherwise or if we do wish it were otherwise to see that the suffering of attachment to those desires so in Buddha Dhamma recognize this this kind of this relate the, the unconditioned and the conditioned. So this is, this is, this is Buddhist uh, way of thinking. You know, so the unconditioned is not, you can't imagine the unconditioned. It has no image. It has no form. But it's real. And that reality is awareness. Sati Sambhajanya, Sati Panya. Or in Buddhist terms, Buddha Dhamma Sangha. So I mean, when we take refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha, taking refuge in awakened consciousness in the present. So the unconditioned is real. It's not an imagined, hoped for state far off that we hope to attain. But it is recognized. And then our relationship to the condition is knowing it for what it is. The, 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 through the noble truth, suffering, the causes of suffering, the cessation of suffering, and the way of living within these changing conditions, with the experience of change, without identifying, without attachment, but through understanding, through enlightened understanding of Dhamma or reality. So I offer this as a reflection for this evening.